Today on this episode of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. I think one of the biggest topics at the SRS meeting was the inflammation and retinal vasculitis associated with Cyphofri, the new FDA-approved C3 inhibitor for the treatment of geographic atrophy due to age-related macular degeneration. Today, Dr. Zarek Schneider and Diana Doe joined the podcast to discuss highlights from the 2023 annual meeting of the American Society of Retinal Specialists held in Seattle, Washington, part one, in this PB Roundup Specialist Spotlight. Regeneron is pleased to support this educational resource for healthcare professionals who provide retinal care. The content is solely the responsibility of the authors and does not necessarily represent the views of Regeneron or its affiliates. Hello, I'm Eric Schneider from uh, Tennessee Retina in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm Dr. Diana Doe from the Byers Eye Institute at Stanford University. Uh, Thanks for joining me today, Diana. So I know we both attended the ASRS annual meeting in Seattle uh, just a few uh, weeks ago. Uh, and obviously, it was a great meeting. Uh, there was a lot of interesting uh, presentations and, and data that we were able to digest. And I thought it might be nice if we could have a little discussion about what we found most interesting, maybe things that might help uh, our retina colleagues around the country uh, really get clued into what was uh, exciting and new at the ASRS. Does that sound good? Definitely. It was a very exciting meeting. Um, so first, uh, yeah, I thought I'd set up with maybe uh, if you wanted to highlight a few uh, presentations or topics that you you know really thought caught your attention, that kind of hottest and latest and greatest. I think one of the biggest topics at the SRS meeting was the inflammation and retinal vasculitis associated with Cyphofri, the new FDA-approved C3 inhibitor for the treatment of geographic atrophy due to age-related macular degeneration. What did you think about that data, Eric? It was interesting. You know, I'm actually on the REST committee who, you know, gathered the data for SRS uh, and, and uh, presented the data. Andre Witkin, who is the, the chairman-elect, presented that data. I believe it was on Saturday. Um, and, and, you know, if you look at the cases, I think they're, they're shocking, right? Some of the, the severity of some of the, the, uh, the outcomes, you know, the, the problem we have now is, is we don't really know what the incidence is, right? And so um, we knew about, uh, um, you know, sort of the total number of vials that have been shipped. And then there was, I believe, eight cases presented of, of more severe inflammation, the, the occlusive retinal vasculitis. And so, you know, it's a challenging problem to sort of wrap your head around, at least from my perspective, you know, you have a, potentially severe outcome, but it's, you know, potentially fairly rare. I, I don't know, how, how are you sort of approaching the use of uh, CIFO right now that uh, you have this uh, information, uh, you know, sort of in your uh, uh, clinical background? I think these new cases of inflammation with retinal vasculitis have changed our treatment recommendations for geographic atri. For instance, if I'm going to employ this new agent, I would recommend not treating both eyes at the same visit in order to monitor for any uh, adverse events. At right now, we know that the incidence may be about 1 in 10,000. There are about 7 to 10 cases that have been reported either to the manufacturer or to the rest committee. And as more physicians use this medication in their patients with advanced atrophic age-related macular degeneration, we don't know if the incidence might increase. Uh, right now, I think we have to be cautious. And if patients have any new symptoms after treatment, we need to examine them promptly. Yeah, Diane, I think that's a really you know smart approach. And it's one we're taking in our practice as well. You know, if you actually look at sort of the 
um, you know, characteristics of the patients who were presented at least by the rest committee at ASRS. I mean, one thing that kind of jumps out is a lot of these patients wouldn't have been included in the, um, you know, pivotal clinical trials, uh, which uh, led to the approval of Sifovirate. And so that's the thing we've been thinking about, at least within our practice, is do we, you know, try and focus the use of this medication on, you know, more traditional patients uh, with uh, uh, advanced age-related uh, macular degeneration with geographic atrophy. You know, a lot of these patients that, you know, had these issues, had had, um, you know, prior histories of uh, even vein occlusions or uh, histories of uveitis, again, which would be a concerning uh, scenario with an inflammatory condition. And also some of them had been previously treated uh, with uh, uh, anti-VEGF agents for neovascular AMD. And so again, um, uh, these are all patients that wouldn't have been at least initially enrolled in a trial. And so those are, again, are, are other maybe considerations for people to think about when they're deciding, you know, who and when to treat with Sifovirate. I think it's important as retina specialists, if we encounter any of these cases, to let the ASRS Arrest Safety Committee know and also let the manufacturer know so we can gather more information because patient safety is the most important factor. I, I love the plug for uh, submitting to the Arrest Committee, uh, Diana. We appreciate that. Um, and I think, it, again, I think it's a very important point. Uh, so, Dan, anything else uh, from the meeting that really caught your eye? On a positive note, I was able to present the two-year data of the photon study of high dose of Flibercept, 8 milligrams for diabetic macular edema. You recall that the first-year data was extremely positive, with 8 milligrams of a Flibercept being non-inferior to the standard 2 milligram dose in terms of mean visual acuity gain at one year. The two-year data were equally promising and showed that these vision and anatomic benefits were sustained while also decreasing the burden of injections. In fact, about 89% of subjects that were on the 8 milligram of Flibercept dosing group were able to be dosed 12 weeks or greater through two years of follow-up. And these patients were able to have visual acuity gains of about 8 to 9 letters with six fewer injections than those that were assigned to the two milligrams of aflibercept. In addition, the safety of high dose aflibercept was very similar to that of two milligrams of aflibercept with very low rates of intraocular inflammation and no cases of retinal vasculitis. Eric, what other topics were interesting at the ASRS meeting to you? Um, yeah, you know, I, I like to focus, um, you know, on maybe earlier phase studies, you know, I think one thing I'm particularly interested in, you know, given the immense treatment burden that our patients are under uh, are these, you know, I guess, quote unquote, one and done treatments. So these are, uh, you know, options where a single treatment, whether it's an intravitreal injection or a, or, or, or a surgery, uh, result in, uh, you know, long-term treatment of a chronic, you know, retinal medical condition. Um, and there were several talks that kind of caught my eye, you know, in that regard at the uh, ASRS meeting. You know, the first uh, is uh, another talk about the RGX314 platform. As you know, you're aware that the RGX314 is this novel AAV8 uh, vector that encodes this uh, FAB fragment, which is similar to ranibizumab. And it's, it creates sort of this protein biofactory within the eye, transduces RPE cells and photoreceptors, uh, and creates this, uh, you know, uh, our, uh, FAB fragment, this anti-VEGF protein on a constitutive basis. And so, yeah, I think that's a very interesting uh, platform. Uh, Ashkin Abbey actually presented the phase two uh, pharmacodynamic study uh, in which they were comparing two different ways to manufacture the RGX314 uh, platform, you know, the sort of smaller scale clinical research version, and then the 
uh, larger scale commercial process, just to show that these are two equal ways to uh, create the RGX314 vector. Uh, and uh, they uh, had uh, two doses, uh, each with two cohorts from, you know, one cohort from each uh, manufacturing process. Uh, and uh, you know, what really just excited me about this, again, was, was further data showing that, you know, with RGX314, this, I should, should clarify, this is the subretinally delivered uh, RGX314. Uh, we see very low levels of inflammation uh, with no steroid treatments. So a lot of these uh, gene therapies require prophylactic steroid treatment. In this case, there's none needed with the subretinal delivery of RGX314. And then we see really stable vision uh, as well as stable CRT in this, you know, previously treated neovascular AMD population. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think that's exciting to see, you know, long-term control with, you know, an immense reduction in the treatment burden. You know, I, I want to say, um, you know, 60 to 75% of these patients, depending on the cohort, required no additional anti therapy in the six months uh, following uh, this subretinal treatment. And the treatment burden was reduced 60 to 80%. So, this you know kind of goes along with what we saw uh, in the uh, a long-term follow-up from the phase one trial with RGX three one four again delivered subretinally with patients you know requiring you know no injections or a very very modest number of injections at week uh, at year four and year five um, and these are patients that previously were getting eight to nine injections a year so I, I really think that's an exciting uh, new uh, way to consider treating patients you know I know there's a lot of gene therapy options out there. What do you think about the RGX314 platform, Diana? I think it does have very promising data. And certainly we know that in clinical practice, we have many patients who require very frequent monthly treatment with our current anti-VEGF agents. The promise of uh, gene therapy with a viral vector sounds very appealing for those patients that require very frequent office visits. Uh, thanks for joining us for this interesting discussion, and uh, please join us for part two, where we'll dive into more uh, topics from the ASRS annual meeting in Seattle. And that concludes part one of this two-part series of the Specialist Spotlight. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PV Roundup Podcast, and be sure to join us for part two. For more stories like these, visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions, please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing Medical News Roundup and just ask, what's my flash briefing? Thanks today to our guests, Dr. Schneider and Doe, and to Sean Mullen and Kate Rio for production assistance. Join me next time for an episode where we cover the latest stories in the world of medicine. 